0: photography (laughs) if you try shooting that thing where i'm from up north your shutter will freeze and break into pieces welcome to the rgg edu podcast where rob and gary talk and drink sour goat's milk with your favorite photographers this podcast is brought to you by seconic light meter using your camera's light meter can yield decent results, but nothing compares to working with a light meter it will help you understand lighting so you can control it better a meter ups your game big time, and Siconic has a range of them to fit your needs and your budget. Head to com to see the tools that they offer.
1: In this episode, we're joined with writer and producer Doug Dalton. Doug, thanks for coming out. Hey, thanks for having me. Alongside Rob Grimm, I am Gary Martin. Doug, let's get into how you got into the business. What do you what do? Because do do? I know you're a part of a lot of things. Yeah, you're yeah. several things.
2: Yeah, I've had a kind of weird career. Um, I started out of college in uh, social services, actually. So I was a uh, worked for child welfare and loved that work, but it was hard, and it was hard on your soul. So uh, eventually, I decided to take a break, and uh, just happened to be at that time when the web was blowing up. Yeah. And so I, if you could speak coherently, they'd teach you how to write HTML. So I moved from there into designing websites, and then very quickly, kind of my... OCD nature kind of kicked in, and I became a producer, basically producing websites, um, high-profile, big clients, and then uh, and then moved from there. I'd always wanted to do film and and creative stuff. At school, I went to in high school, actually, kind of have a declared a major, so I was an art student, but uh, you know, went the more practical route and uh, for school, and then uh, and then I had the opportunity to. I said, you know, life's short. If I want to do this, I better start figuring out how to do it and then i met uh met through i was referred to the pixel core um, which is an outfit out of san francisco by a friend of mine and went up and uh, took a class with alex Lindsay. a lot of people know him in the podcasting world from this week in tech and oh, yeah and uh so i went up met alex took a class and on uh, podcasting and green screen that's about uh 11 12 years ago i think and uh kind of everything went from there i i volunteered alex was covering nab and ces and i volunteered to run camera for him so you've been coming to these events for a long time yes yeah, i think this is my we were. i was out to dinner with some friends last night and we were talking about it, and i think this is my 12th nab wow oh. how,
1: how has nab changed is it a lot of people are saying that these types of conventions are going down and attendance is down is do you think that's the same with nab are they
2: holding on um, I, I haven't been to C. So we used to cover CS and Neb and SIGGRAPH and pretty and CineGear and all any production related conference we were pretty much at. And um, I don't think that I think attendance is it definitely feels lighter, but it doesn't feel like there's less energy. If that makes sense, yeah, yeah, yeah right. that makes me- sense. I think there is a bit of a pullback because so much content and access is available online. Mm-hmm. You know, you have so many people covering, and we were one of the first people covering them. So somewhere out there in the internet, there's an, uh, a video of me. We were the first people to live stream from the floor of nab oh wow so there's a video of me wearing this huge live view backpack with a camera in my hand and headset on and you know um, basically producing and running camera for for alex and alex is walking around pointing out all the gear you know and it was a lot of gear it was expensive to run how many years ago was this this would have been 2007 2008 oh, wow. and uh and now that whole thing can be done with a DJ Osmo on a phone. Yeah. Yeah. It's right? come a long way in a, you know, a relatively said, short period of time. I said, that just caused coverage to explode. So I think some people stay away because they figure I can see this stuff online a day or two after. I don't need to be there. Um, but I, you know, I just literally just having this conversation where it's like, uh, millennials don't go to con- conventions and I know that's not true. Millennials go to cons all the time. Right. Um, but I, so I don't think I don't think it's going away. I don't think it's diminishing. I think yeah. it's just changing a little bit because um, you can't beat the networking and the, the opportunities to get to meet people and to see and to actually hold stuff in your hand and, and yeah. see it. So you can't. You, there's no way that that's going to replace that. So in terms of photography, you're also part of a pretty
1: big website, PhotoFocus.
2: Yeah, I'm a contributor to PhotoFocus. I've been there for about uh, I guess maybe four or five years now. How'd you get into How'd you get into that? Um. So it's uh, through Alex. I met Scott Warren, who's the founder of uh, Photofocus, and Frederick Van Johnson, who, who uh, runs the This Week in Photography website. Yeah. Um, Frederick. It's a great and podcast. Are, yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of Frederick's. He's a, he's a bud. And uh, and uh, so Frederick and I actually worked on a couple of projects together um, through PixCore. And Frederick actually – so I knew, I knew Scott. I had met him peripherally, like at some event. And then Scott moved to Vegas, and uh um frederick said hey scott had a project he was working on he said you know doug's down in vegas you should you guys should hook up so scott reached out and we started talking and and then became friends with scott and scott invited me to contribute and it was a little bit odd for me because i come from the video world i'm not i still shoot but i don't still shoot professionally um and uh he's like well you got stuff to contribute and so i did a test post and people liked it the and, rest is history started contributing that way and and so I, I tend to talk about things from the video side, yeah. which not coincidentally, not too long after that, the conversion started to happen. We have still shooters that have to now do video more. And so the stuff I talk about becomes a little more relevant.
1: Yeah. yeah. So what was it like living in Vegas? You, were, you said you were here for 15 years. Yeah. Is that a yeah. good thing or? A...
2: Um, I was here 14 years too long. <laughs> yeah. so,
1: I'm on day four here and I'm like, yeah, I'm well, ready to go. I'm ready. To... I
2: grew up, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. So I grew up in a, river valley with humidity and green all around me and everything so i you know now you're in the desert now and then i was in the desert and, and i only intended to be here a year like i was i was a stopover on my way to film school at usc that was my original plan my folks had moved here and i was like oh, i'll hang out with my folks for a little bit and take a take a sabbatical year do some job i don't particularly care for just to make, make ends meet and then i'll go to school and then i got a really cool job that i liked and i stayed another year and then i met my wife and had oh. Kids and then one thing leads to another, and eventually, you're stuck. Eventually, well, I wasn't stuck, I was yeah. never stuck. We were trying to figure out how to where we wanted to go, and we were looking at all kinds of places. We were in a position I work for myself, like, I, don't, yeah. I don't have to be tied to a place, so we took our time trying to figure out where we wanted to be. And now we're in Spokane.
0: What's we the market it? like here in Vegas? The market you, well for photographers and videographers because you think so much this is convention town, this is gambling town, it's like um, the most beautiful. Disgusting city ever? you know?
2: <laughs> so um, that's a, that's I've never that's a great way to put it. Well, I think
0: you think about all the stuff that happens here. It's uh, it's glitz and it's glamour, but it's a lot of heartbreak at the same time. And um, leaving Las Vegas is y- a true story. Yeah, right. Um, I see it all. all so, uh, what
2: what was the market like for you to to, to be working in a city? Um, it was uh, it was. I mean, for a videographer, for a person producing live content, you know, it's a hard market to beat because there's work all the time, mm-hmm. right? You know, there's. Uh, um, it is, you know, it, it's a union town, so you have to, you know, negotiate that. A lot of times there are a couple of facilities that aren't union-specific, and um, and that's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a thing, you know? Right. It's I know just a of it's, really, it's a curveball. Right. This is right. not, not even a curveball, it's just a thing. You right. know, you, know, you need, know, need to know how to manage it and how to work within it, within that structure. Um, so there's always work, lots of work. There's shows coming in all the time. I ran a pop culture show, kind of like a Comic-Con, as a, as a side business for a while, and, it's good. It's good. I mean, it, um, the one thing that is a little interesting on that, on that angle is you think there's so much convention space here it would be cheap. It's not because there's so much convention space and it's always being used. So if you're going to do something like that, it's not necessarily as cheap as you would think to, to like rent a room. That's why a lot of podcasts get shot in suites. Yeah. You <laughs> know, I, I looked into trying yeah. to get a room
1: at the Las Vegas convention center and it's almost, yeah, it was just completely not worth it.
2: Yeah. Not even worth having a conversation about <laughs> Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. So,
0: so many photographers are getting into video because the cameras have that capability. You kind of came at it in the opposite way. You're really into video first, right?
2: Yeah, I came in as a videographer first.
0: Yeah. What, what, um, what do you think are the biggest barriers that photographers have had in making that transition? Because if they don't do it right, they can really hang themselves.
2: I think, well, the two things I would say if from a still photographer moving to motion, the two big things are, number one is um, the biggest barriers themselves. Right, um, And I don't mean that in an attitudinal way, right? It's not like, you know, because um, I think they, they're t- intimidated by what they think they don't know, right? Mm-hmm. Light is light, color is color, framing composition is framing composition, whether you're shooting stills or you're shooting, shooting motion. if Those skills are all transferable, and I think people think that motion is more magic than it is. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, you look at Vincent LaFleuray's stuff. You know, he, I think he started out still and then moved to motion. Yep. I think that's yeah. right.
1: Photojournalism. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think yeah. that's
2: right. Um, uh, you know, and those skills translate, you know. So I think that's the big thing. People get intimidated because, oh, it's video, right? And so they, they hold themselves back instead of just trusting their skill set. Um, I, I have a good friend of mine, Justin Rosenberg. Or Justin Rosenberg. Sorry, Justin. Um, I'm a little sleep-addled. <laughs> um, and he's an amazing still photographer, like just this crazy dark beauty stuff. If you follow dark beauty magazine, it's oh, just yeah. amazing, gorgeous stuff. And I totally want to get him, you know, shooting video because I think he'll do some creepy ear. Like he'll, he'll be a horror, horror film photographer, or, you know, DP if he wants to be, because he's just got this amazing eye. And you can't, once you have that eye and you learn it, you know, you can't take that away. from. I think somebody. that's one place where still photographers actually have the
0: advantage. Absolutely. Because composition um in still photography i think is more laborious mm-hmm. you know you have to concentrate on it harder versus moving the camera i think it's easy to get caught up uh in how everything is moving around the mm-hmm. set yeah. uh, so i think when somebody has has established themselves as a photographer in, in, in terms of understanding composition and how their eye moves through a frame yeah. uh, they have actually have an advantage moving to video
2: yeah well and coming up through the pixcore that's the way we were taught right so yeah. alex's so pixcore is now a, a a huge production company that does this amazing live stream and VR 360 stuff. Right. And, uh, and if that's a place you want to play in, you can't beat the Pixar and Alex Lindsay. You guys should just, you know, mm-hmm. people are listening. If that's something your your company's looking at doing, you should check those guys out. But they started out as a, as an education company, right. When they were teaching people how to do this stuff mm-hmm. and you went up, you came up through them. And the first thing they taught you was go get a DSLR and learn how to shoot still frames. Do that first that you develop your eye before you start to move the camera and that's the way I learned right that's and so yeah. so you know so you know those people are thinking about going into motion learn how to do it still first and then the rest of that translates and then the second thing I would think that people who are transitioning into and doing to do the hybrid stuff is the sound people don't really respect sound the way they should because they're only thinking about the visual and and sound is 50% or more yeah of video right if your sound is crap your video people will forgive visuals a lot more than they'll forgive yeah, audio. Yeah. And if your audio is terrible, you can have the most gorgeous picture and people are gonna tune it off. Yeah. You know? Yeah, there's
0: something about the audio that it it, it grates on your senses much harder mm-hmm. than something if something
2: doesn't look beautiful,
0: you you're right, you can forgive that. But if um if sa- the sound quality is bad, it it's grating. It's mm-hmm. intrusive.
2: I I, I mean I, there's probably science on this, but I, I tend to the way I think to think of it is, you know, we um we're used to blur in our vision, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so we will forgive blur. it, but, but while we're tuned by our ears to turn to things, you know, out of fright, flight or flight. So our our hearing is much more sensitive than our eyes are. Right. It's just science. It's, it's just science. There's probably science out there. It could be bullshit. i sorry. <laughs> sorry. I no, know. it's good. You can it, cuss on it. This is a
1: rated R podcast. Uh, yeah. Brought to you by the F word and the number 13. <laughs> 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 right. So, Doug, you have also recently worked on a pretty big feature. Yeah. Let's yeah. We're, about that.
2: Yeah. We're, we're really fortunate. Um, as we speak, we're wrapping up our theatrical run um, for an independent feature called Boca. And uh, we're already out on iTunes and and uh, Amazon and on demand, I think, pretty much everywhere except Netflix. Tell um, us how that, that whole project came about. Yeah. So, um, again, coming back, uh, you know, in Pixar, coming up through the big score we we did a lot of um, got to be careful here um we did a lot of very high profile live events for some companies in the valley that I can't name <laughs> uh but uh we traveled a lot and uh i think my my last year traveling with them i logged 120,000 air miles
0: well wow. it's a good amount
2: and uh and a lot of the guys on that crew that, I, that, we, that through, we worked through and the people that we knew through that, we all wanted to make films. That's kind of one of the reasons we got into it. So there was this little cabal of us that were constantly talking about it and writing scripts and knocking stuff around. And and in the fall of 2013, uh, Brent Schnarr, who was a DIT in our film said, Hey, Jeff who's one of the writer directors. He's got a script and a project next time you're in town in San Francisco, you should talk to him. So. Next time I was in town, I sat down, and had dinner, Jeff kind of pitched me the movie, said, you know, we'd love you guys, we love you to come in and and work on the film with us. And I said, you know, when and where? And that was in uh, January of 2014, and six months later, we were in Iceland shooting a feature film. So what was your role on the, the film? So I was uh, I was a um, producer and unit production manager, so, um, so high, you know, capital P producer, for lack of a better word, um, helping drive the whole product. Uh, Unit production manager on the set, managing the, everything but the creative, so managing all the logistics behind the scene. And then I was the, um, along with uh, Brianne Lermit, who's also my, also producer, the two of us tag teamed on that. She was great. We have another producer, Kent Lermit, who, or, I'm sorry, Kent Genslinger, who uh, was kind of our, uh, he's, he's the, uh, was the first AD on Bones, the TV show Bones. Oh, yeah and great guy It just kind of was our consigliere who walked us through everything that we might not know that we would need to know and it's been a huge asset to the production so from a producer perspective that was the team the three of us and uh and then in post i was the visual effects producer so i hired and managed all the vfx guys
1: where do you think you've learned to become a producer because that's not a very i think there's only one or two degrees that might kind of prepare you to become a producer so it's one of those roles that you develop into so where do you think your influences came from to succeed at that
2: Well, a lot of it is um you know it's going to sound trite but a lot of it's my parents so um, my dad my mom both my mom and dad were in leader, leadership positions so you kind of you kind of get a little bit of that ingrained in green, you then my degree is in organization organizational psychology so oh, okay. and like you know wasn't didn't necessarily think i'd ever apply it to film but i use it every day you know, um
1: what just, exactly is organizational psychology? just the
2: way people work together. It's essentially the the, the mm-hmm. psychology of teams so and it's not like I ever sat there and said, "I'm going to be a producer, but those skills come in all the time where you realize team dynamics and how they work, just little stuff like taking care of people um but then when i and then and then I just always once i once I left social services and I started moving into the corporate world, I was always the guy who could talk that was always the interpreter between creative and tech or creative and the business guys. So I would find myself in meetings and and people would be talking about, you know, you know, the the developer would be saying, Oh or, I'm sorry, the business guy would be saying, We need this feature. We gotta have this feature and the developer would say it's gonna take six weeks and it's and they'd argue about it. And I'd be the guy that'd say, Well wait, wait a minute. Tell tell him why it's gonna take six weeks and then tell him why it's gonna why it's gonna be important to to the business for this you know, like just stop yelling at each other and talk <laughs> to each other and figure this shit out yeah. and and that's really what a producer does all day long yeah. right is problem solves so uh, i kind of had that and then when i came into the pixel core i was really focused on being a dp that's what i wanted to do and uh and uh, i had this long conversation with alex after one of our trips and he's like you know in 10 years everyone's going to be producing like you're this is roughly 10 years ago it's like if you really want to have a job and film, you're going to need to be, know how to produce. And, uh, I kind of at that time poo-pooed it because I was going to be, you know, a great DP. And, uh, but the Core way is you learn every station. So I've done audio, I've done everything, you know, everything along the line. And, uh, and then actually when we came into Shootbook, originally I was going to be second unit. I was going to be doing some photography on the film. That was one of my goals. And we realized really early to get the aesthetic that we wanted, we really need everything to be shot by Joe Lindsay RDP and um, be lying if I said I wasn't disappointed that I wasn't going to be shooting second unit um, but uh, but at the end of the day it was the right decision for the film and, and ultimately it forced me to do more stuff and so when I walk out the door I know how to make a film end to end now right mm-hmm. and I wouldn't have done that I have such tremendous respect for Joe and his skill set that if I had been second unit um, I would have been focused on learning as much as I could from Joe and I would not have walked away from the project with the confidence I have now to go pitch a script and go build another team and go do another film does that make sense yeah that does Uh, make sense and so what I always tell people now is if uh, and I teach a class I've done it I'll teach it at PPW online here in June I just got done teaching it here is I talk to young people and I'm like I don't care what your aspiration is in the film world whether you want to write direct DP produce something for one of your friends be the person who has to produce it because the skills you're learn there will help give you the confidence to do anything else down the road and and if nothing else if you never produce another thing again you'll understand what a producer goes through and you'll be able to speak to that by the same token you know if you're if you want to be a producer you should touch all the different department heads and figure out what their jobs are so you can speak to it
0: how long was the
2: entire production for Boca and how long was principal filming principal photography was Six weeks in Iceland. The whole film was shot in Iceland. Um, I traveled around did some scenic pickups afterwards um, uh, for about a week uh, on my own. And then um, then we came back and total post, so we, we wrapped in the summer of 2014. Um, we had the film More or Less in the Can. We had the first cut of the film More or Less in the Can in 2015. Then we were fortunate to be selected by independent film project narrative labs and we went into the narrative labs and that's a great program for what is that program so uh independent film project is out of new york there's a there's the similarly named film independent out of la but they're basically incubators for filmmakers oh cool and in the narrative lab you come in and you spend a week where they take your cut and then they just cut it apart and they you know you have a lot of people who've made films and they're like here's the problems with it do you want to make an art film or do you want to make a commercial film what do you want to do and that was an incredible process for us because the film that we had coming in we all loved but when we came back out of the cut we got the ifp cut um well our cut after we took the ifp notes into consideration exponentially stronger film you know um
0: they're not actually recutting any of it they're just doing critique, it's a critique and analysis yeah. so and, you go in,
2: they watch the film yeah. and then they give you notes and they say, these are the notes. And the, some of the notes were hard to take, but, yeah. they, but, but you know, they, they made
0: sense. Like what were some of the things that were really hard to hear when you thought, man, this is, <clears throat> this is an awesome beat, and then
2: they say, no, it's not? Well, I mean, when you see the film, the, you know, one of the greatest things to see that's come out in the reviews is, you know, Joe's work, Joe Lindsay, RDP. Like, he just crushed it, crushed the film. Like, it's a beautiful, beautiful film. And we were really in love with Joe's, Joe's photography. So we were a little bit indulgent like longer takes you know we, we just loved oh, watching yeah. joe's stuff and it became this kind of the first cut was kind of a dreamy art house film and wasn't quite as tight and moving maybe as well paced as it might, might have been because every one of us loved joe's stuff and none of us wanted to cut a frame of it not a single frame of it and, you know because joe's incredible talent he's a guy you'll hear a lot more from down the road i'm sure how did he feel about it um joe thought it sucked Right. And I say that in the sense that Joe's such a perfectionist that yeah. he, he's looking at every frame going, Oh, I would have done this differently. Oh right. my god, you know, but you know, we're all telling him it's great and he's just like, you know, right. rolling yeah. his eyes like I, I, he, he sees everything that he did wrong mm-hmm. and, and we're just like, you know, we're just amazed. So it's so rewarding to see to see the there were, you know, everybody talking about Joe's cinematography and the reviews and how gorgeous the film is. And I, you know, that's not me talking, that's the reviews talking. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I thought it was gorgeous, but it's great to hear it validated. So, um, yeah, so <clears throat> so it was more like that. It wasn't that, uh, there were some story beats that, that uh, and some subplots that got moved out, um, you know, uh, but uh, mostly it was, we were just in, so in love with Joe's photography that we, we didn't want to cut a frame of it. How'd, so, you, get, how'd
0: you get everybody in Iceland to leave? What's that? How'd you get everybody to go? <laughs> to go away?
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Have you seen the film?
0: Uh, we've seen the preview for yeah. it. So,
2: yeah. So one of the reasons, so the, the conceit of the film is that uh, a young couple goes to Iceland on holiday and uh, very early in the first act, everybody disappears. And it's about these two young people in their 20s trying to figure out how to be the last two people on Earth. Um, and so one of the reasons we chose Iceland is, you know, it's a it's a country of 300,000 people. It's not much bigger than than Spokane, the town I live in. That's 250,000 people. And about uh, 250,000 people of those people live in the town of Reykjavik. So mm-hmm. so when you go outside, it's pretty sparsely populated. And so, um, and then we shot in the summer and in the summer, there's 23 hours of daylight. So for still photographers or videographers, you, you will be hard pressed to find a more gorgeous place to shoot, period, end of story. Um, you have 23 hours of beautiful daylight. I've never seen the only place that's come close is Hawaii for the amount of ridiculous god rays that you'll get yeah. all day long. You know, Iceland has got this kind of stormy environment around it all the time. So you and just, it's
0: so far north, so you're not getting this direct beating yeah, sun coming just, right down it's like the soft it.
2: god light all yeah. the time. It's just, it's ridiculous. It's like, it's, it's an abundance. <laughs> Sounds like a dream come true. It is. Like, if you're, I mean, if you're a still photographer who does any kind of landscape stuff and you haven't gone to Iceland you're missing out. Dude. Yeah, You're a lot so of people have been going there lately. It's really caught um, kind of wildfire. People have really been yeah. gravitating towards it. It's uh, it's amazing. So it's sparsely populated. So we could we could uh, go in the countryside and shoot and not not have a chance of people walking into frame. And then we would shoot a lot of uh, uh, because we had 23 hours of sunlight. We would our, we'd start our days at nine o'clock at night and shoot through the night where people are sleeping. Right. Oh you yeah. Know? And so that's how we kind oh, of that made out the it city. easy. Yeah. yeah. Well. It made it easy, kind of. but it's, it's yeah. crazy, like, you know, we, the, the, we built the film specifically so we wouldn't have a lot of big effect shots. There's, like, one obvious effect shot in the film. Um, and we're like, oh, we're not going to have that many effect shots. We end up with 60-plus effect shots in the film, and probably <clears throat> probably 25 of them are removing some random dude that we thought wasn't in frame. And literally two days before we sent the, DC, the digital cinema package out to all the theaters, somebody saw two more people that we missed and and i way off in the (laughs) distance yeah they're just like i think there's a dude in the corner over there i'm like shit so we have to go and clean it up before (laughs) we send it out you know and 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 this is me the two writer directors and our visual effects supervisor who literally had looked at the film by that time probably 100 times 150 times or more we've seen every frame of the film and we missed it so yeah so so hopefully you caught it all (laughs) yeah we think we've caught it all on
1: on every production there's definitely curveballs what was the biggest challenge that 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 happened on the on the shoot
2: um hmm, that's a good question i don't think i've been asked that um what's the biggest challenge on the shoot
1: anything go terribly wrong you're like oh god i didn't see that one (laughs) um
2: no we were really fortunate um
1: sounds like you did a good job well you know i can't
2: say enough like we you know like all children um when we uh when we stepped away from the pixie to do our film um because a big chunk of us came up through that through that community we we um like oh we're not we're not big we're off doing our own thing now right but one of the things that i got to give huge credit to and i think everybody on the crew that came up through that family would do do as well is that you know the pix core is a um just rightly so a crucible i consider it a crucible if you make it through the pix core and you, you know you come out on the other side you you've you've earned your bars right and uh because Alex is a tough taskmaster, and you learn a lot, and you work your ass off when you come up through that, <clears throat> and it's not for everybody, but because we all because most of us came up through that we we knew we had a shorthand, like we knew we knew what everybody's capabilities were, we knew where their breaking points were, um, and we took care of each other, so it wasn't like we were beating, like beating each other up on purpose all the time, but we also we also knew we had a hardcore crew that could could shoot you know on 65 locations in 22 days and inclement weather and just get our, you know, make our days and get our numbers. Now there were scenes that got cut because we realized that we were a little ambitious, but we don't get the film that we've got on, on, you know, on camera unless a big chunk of them, big chunk of us came up through the pixel core. Yeah. So, um, so that, I mean, I give that a lot of credit because we all knew that. And so when we got hit with curveballs and we did get hit with curveballs, balls, we could <sighs> roll with them, you know, we could roll with them pretty easily. And and the other thing I got to get a little of credit for is uh, we had a first AD who, uh, by the name of Dave Halls, who came in um, at the last minute to step in uh, to first AD for us and a lot of experience in independent films. And uh, he kicked our asses every day. Like he forced us to make our days and forced us to make tough decisions and grew us all as filmmakers. And, and as the UPM, you know, he and I would occasionally have dust-ups and There was you know, we we would have disagreements and they weren't always pleasant in the moment. But he was the first person I gave a big hug to on wrap day because, you know, I knew he was always trying to make us better and make us make the film great and didn't mean we were always gonna get along in the moment, but Mm -hmm. you know, as long as we were all task oriented and, and working towards that that end goal. You know, that's what you want. You want somebody who's going to kick you in the yeah, ass and make yeah. you make you great.
1: So, how easy was it to get permits and things like that to shoot in Iceland? Is that an easy country to work with?
2: Iceland's got a great film incentive program, so they they want filmmakers there, okay. um, particularly filmmakers who want to represent Iceland as Iceland. You know, uh, you see Iceland a lot in film and don't realize it. So, um, if you've seen uh, Oblivion, the Tom Tom Tom, Tom, oh, yeah. Tom said Cruise Tom Selleck and showed my age, <laughs> uh, Tom Cruise film where uh, Tom Selleck is, by, just for the record. Better than Tom Cruise, yeah, no argument. But he, you know, but if that's your reference point, yeah, you know, you're you're <laughs> of a certain generation. That mustache, uh, come on, yeah, yeah, it's a push that, broom. But uh, the the Tom Cruise film, uh, all that you know, weird gravelly stuff. That's all Iceland. Um, Prometheus, the big opening sequence where the with the waterfall and everything. That's Skaga. I think it's Skagafoss. It's one of the biggest waterfalls yeah. in Iceland. So you see Iceland a lot in film. The whole, uh, I believe, the whole sequence in uh, in the first. And Batman Begins, where they're up in the mountaintop oh, yeah. with the ninjas, I think that's Iceland. So you see Iceland representing other places, fantasy worlds or, or alien planets a lot, but you don't see it as Iceland. Mm-hmm. And we were the second film, there was a film before us that shot the year before called Land Ho. Which is kind of like a, like an um, uh, old dog's last, last run kind of movie. Really cute movie, uh, funny movie, definitely worth checking out. Um, but we were like one of the second films that shot Iceland for Iceland and they love us for it and uh i can't say enough good things about the the cat the crew that we had there yeah Uh, we worked with vintage pictures and helene and brigida were just awesome and uh and rnr our location manager and INR, this guy that we brought in as a pa was just killer i mean we just had great crew local crew and all the companies we work with there were great so you know you talk about coming up through the pixel core
0: and so many people enter this business from every direction Mm -hmm. there's just so many different pathways How critical do you think it is or not critical to go through a formalized program like that?
2: Well, um, it's interesting because I I wouldn't say that the Core program was so much formalized, um, at least not when I came in, because they were in the middle of a transition. They'd gone from a very formalized structured thing to where they were now morphing into the, the company that they are today, which is they do a lot of really super high-end live streaming, and they're doing it now in VR. They're doing 360 stuff with Nokia. I mean, stuff that Alex and his guys are doing with Facebook Live is ridiculous, like in the best sense of the world. So when I came in, it was kind of a transition period, and so there wasn't so much formal structure. But what was great about it was, um, and I think this is true pretty much of any, any production environment, is that if you give of yourself and you show that you're interested and willing to commit to things, then you get opportunities presented to you. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I was game. Um, I, I volunteered for some stuff, picked some stuff up, and then I was thinking about going back to film school, specifically the Art Academy Film School in San Francisco. I had a conversation with Alex about it, and he said, you know, I can teach you most of what you need to know because um, a little bit of Alex's background, he was a visual effects artist for ILN, and, You know, he he designed Queen Amidala's plane and, uh, yeah, sorry, Padme's, you know, a spaceship in uh in the first in phantom menace that's his work
0: yeah. and ilm is
2: industrial light and magic for those who don't know yeah yeah so so he, i mean he's got legit background in film and stuff so he said hey you know come on up and, and hang with us and intern with us and i'll teach you a lot of stuff and uh as it turned out he was on the road a lot more and i didn't get to hang with him as much when he was there but but the crew he had built around him you know kind of you know made themselves available to me and before I knew it, he actually called me up. Uh, called me up about uh, two weeks before I was supposed to come up. He goes, "Hey, can you come up a week early?" I'm like, "Probably." What's up? And he's like, if "You come up a week early, I will get you on a feature film right now." So I came up. and My very first gig was I walked in to a feature film, a horror film that a friend of ours shot um, in Northern California, and I was on the set running BTS camera and you know on a shooting on a you know, on a this little indie horror film, and it was awesome. You know, so if you make yourself available, the universe kind of takes care of you if you're, you know, if you're willing to work and, and you're, and you're, and you have the right attitude and you're not going to be a pain in the ass. And <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. Like, yeah. that's half the battle. Don't be a pain in the ass, right? <laughs> you know, show up on time and don't be any pain in the ass. If you can do those two things and then you can show you have some aptitude, opportunities will present themselves to you.
1: What do you think the leading reason is why like PAs or assistants don't get asked back? They're a pain in the ass. Yeah, I knew that was coming. No, seriously. I
2: mean it's well, the biggest one is don't is is being on not being on time, right? Yeah. You know, the the uh time is money on a production. And if you're not there on time, and by on time I mean ten minutes before your call time, right? If you're not there on time, you're not respecting everybody else that's on the crew, right? So be on time is the number one thing. Whether you're whether you're working on a film production or whether you're, you know, want to be a still photographer and you're a scene for somebody, right? Um, be on time and be early. Uh, and then just don't have an attitude, right? And that could, bad attitude can take shape a bunch of different ways. It can be the person that, uh, that asks a bunch of, that, that basically thinks you're there to teach them all the time. Does that make sense? So they're basically asking you questions all the time. How do you do this? How do you do this? What aperture? Da, 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 da. No, shut up. And pay attention and watch what happens. Take notes yourself. And then when you have a downtime, you're having a beer after the day, if you made your day or whatever, then you ask those questions. But you don't ask them on set, right? You don't ask them while the work's going on. Sit, shut your mouth, observe, pay attention, then ask questions after the fact. And then, you know, the nature of production, whether it's stills or, or motion or whatever, is it's a chaotic day, you know? Shit happens. You don't get you don't get food when you necessarily want to have food. You know, you don't. But the important thing is you make your day. So and those days suck. And it doesn't mean that they don't suck because they do. Right. But you don't complain about them in the day. Right. If you if you feel like there's something that could have happened differently, you do an after action report. and You, you talk to somebody after the fact and say, you know, what happened there? And, but the goal is to you know, the goal is always one of the things that Andy, one of our director directors, said is, you know, everything has to be in service of the film. Right. If you're, once you're on set, everybody's in service of the film and you have problems and we had problems. Right. We had, we, you know, including myself, I didn't have my best days on the shoot either. You know, shit happens. But you uh, but you dust yourself off and you put yourself in service of the project. And then when the project, you know, when you have the project in the can, then you sit back and you talk about things and how you do it better. You know, but while you're shooting, you're shooting and that's what you're doing. Period. I think the, I think I, I like the phrase in service of the film a lot
0: yep. um, because it, people do have to realize that you have to separate um, yourself and what you want out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you're part of a cog in, in many sense, or mm-hmm. you're, you're a cog in a wheel um, to make this whole thing happen because it takes a lot of people to make a film yep. really work. Yep. Um, and if you're in there causing problems, you're going to throw a wrench in the works, Yeah.
1: Or if you're on your cell phone. Yep.
0: Yeah, that's a huge pet peeve. That's. Yeah.
1: That drives me crazy
0: when right, I look the, over and see an assistant on yeah. the code. The only cell people phone.
2: should be on their cell phones at all are talent or producers, producers. who are who are trying to like get shit done. But yeah. everybody else should have their phones away, right? Yeah. Period. Your updates can wait. Yeah. Well <laughs> you dude, you hear cool of talent being
1: on the on their
2: phone. Um I mean if they're on a break and they don't have anything else to do, right? I mean it depends. Some every all talent is different. Some people like, you know, I mean, Mike and Matt weren't method actors, so it wasn't like they were walking around, you know. Doing character. a Jared Leto sending dead rats to one another or anything like crazy <laughs> like that, you know, but, uh, you know, but, you know, everybody has their process and sometimes people, you know, just need to chill out and check their social media updates. I'm, I'm fine with that. You Wait, know. What's the dead rat thing with Jared Leto? I oh, didn't hear that. No. I, um, he was so into the Joker character in, in uh, Suicide Squad that apparently he like. Sent all these disgusting gifts around to his to to the to to the other actors, including like dead rats <laughs> and stuff like that, because he wanted them to hate him when he was on screen. Yeah. So yeah, oh he's, really? He's really method, like he's like out there. I think uh, Will Smith said that he didn't meet Jared Leto until until they did a junket afterwards, because he, he he always he always time. was he talking the to the Joker, guy.
1: yeah, like yeah. Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah,
2: Leto's like the this generation's day Lewis. Wow, that's interesting. He's it's hard. hard he's hardcore method.
1: It's funny because uh, I watched a a speech, like a, an acceptance speech for Daniel Day Lewis, and like he wouldn't get out of character even with his wife. So his wife is having to, you know, Deal live with, with Abraham yeah. Lincoln. Yeah. For right. can, you that? Yeah. can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? In all that because
2: those guys were amazing actors. Like yeah. I, I, this is not critique at all. Like much respect for that. But still, can you imagine living with Abraham Lincoln for for a year <laughs> yeah. while yeah. you're preparing for that for that film? And
0: at the same time, that's the way they have to do it. Yeah. Obviously, if they broke character, they couldn't have delivered the same way. Right. So, I guess kudos for them for doing it, and even more kudos for the wives. I for would love to work him. with someone like
2: that one day. It'd be fascinating to watch. Yeah. And yeah. write a book he's about.
1: around it. his house as Abraham Lincoln, like questioning technology and like the phone's ringing and he sees his <laughs> wife on a phone and like he gets into character and his wife's just like Stop <laughs> Stop Or <laughs> exactly.
2: well, there yeah, I can think of I can of worse ways that extent, I gonna think of worse ways that are probably not family friendly that we could talk about in character stuff that would right. be weird. But, um, <laughs> we won't go there. All Afterwards
0: right. that's cool. So where do you want to go now? Um, you've got such such rounded experience. And what what do you want to do Going forward, what's your pathway, do you think?
2: It's, uh, so it's been, a, it's been an interesting year. You know, I have, I have, this, um, I have this really unique skill set. Um, uh, every time I say that, I hear Liam Neeson in the back of my head. Um, <laughs> uh, I have this really unique skill set uh, that I developed from the Pixel Corps that I get asked to, to exercise a lot, particularly around live streaming and, and live events. And, and I enjoy it. I'm working on a couple of projects now where I'm helping people develop um, television shows, um essentially online television shows really enjoying it particularly the one i'm working on it's got some i think some pretty fascinating content coming through it um but i'm i'm really working hard to kind of limit that because um i've got a script i'm finishing up hoping to go out this summer to do a raise to shoot next year you're actually writing it yeah i'm writing it and hoping to direct it next summer um and then i've got a doc that i've been working on for about seven years now um with a friend of mine here in Vegas uh, by the name of Neil Anderson. It's a, it's about a formerly um, classified fighter pilot program based out here in Ellis Air Force Base. And, uh, and it's, we've been interviewing people for five years. Um, they're all retired fighter pilots, and it's really fascinating stuff. But but we had a problem uh, because all of the existing footage and photographs and everything were destroyed on 9-11 because they were at the Pentagon when it got hit so oh, man. it's kind of hard to put together a documentary when all you got is talking heads because nobody, no matter how fascinating the topic is, no one wants just to look at people talk forever. So uh, I literally had, it's going to sound like cliche, but I had this like literally wake up in the middle of the night kind of epiphany about how to solve the problem at back around Christmas time. And I woke up about 4 o'clock in the morning, went on Facebook, and I'm like, hey, production, fellow production nerds, has anybody ever solved this problem this way and I got a phone call from a friend of mine who is now does production for NASA and he's like call me and so I called him and he's like yeah we can totally do what you need to do so can't say more about it right now but it's all mysterious yeah. yeah yeah but well i'm trying that
1: all this classified information was destroyed on 911 yeah you know? oh, so
2: conspiracy theory yeah, yeah. Are you going there i'm trying all right yeah. well yeah so I'm only being cagey because I'm trying to save some reveals for the Kickstarter. We're going to do a big campaign this summer to raise money to do. What I can say is we're going to do some VR stuff. That's pretty interesting. We're going to basically recreate some sequences entirely in VR. Oh, cool! And uh, and if it works well, part of what we'll do for the Kickstarter is we'll we'll, we'll reveal how we did it um, so that other people can replicate it down the road. I'm a big I'm a big uh, share you know pass it along guy. So. um uh, yeah. So, so you're going to be using the
0: technology a little bit differently, coming up with a, with a new solution.
2: Or, well, it's not necessarily new. It's just a different application of existing te- technology. Like, I don't know that anybody's done what we're thinking about doing. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying it to be cagey because I don't want anybody else to do it. Um, we're trying to figure We think we've got to figure it figured out. I, it's more of a thing like I want to see it work. Like right now it's theoretical. Sure. I want to okay. see it work. And once I see it work, I'm going to be shouting from the rooftops because it's going to be really cool. And it'll, it'll move more from a – it'll progress from more of a straight documentary to more of a transmedia type of thing where we're, we're crossing over um, distribution methods. And it'll be pretty cool. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So that's, our, that's the next project. That's what we're working on right now. Um, hope to have some, some stuff come out of that about this summer. And then, and then if Rays goes well, we'll be shooting, shooting something the following summer. Very cool.
1: Where do you want everyone to go to to check out this film and and also your website?
2: Yeah, so the the film is uh, Boca B O K E H. Um, you know, photographers obviously know what that is. Yeah, and, Boca. And uh, just quickly on that, the 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 name is the name is what it is because the the male lead is a photographer from Shoot.
1: Del Boca Vista. No, no, no. <laughs> was he from Boca Raton? No, no, no. <laughs> Not bokeh,
2: bokeh, or oh, how, God, you bokeh. know. Is, uh,
1: is bokeh the correct? It's
2: Japanese, right? It's, I, I'm not a, uh, yeah, it's Japanese. I don't, I just, I call it bokeh, you know. And I've already been, I've even heard it referred I smile to as not bokeh. At people. Yeah, I've, bokeh. I smile and nod. It's one of those things like, okay, do we really need to have an argument about it? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I've had people try to argue with me about it. Uh, but, the, but the lead character is a photographer shooting on a Rolaflex, and... Um, And then it's also about the idea that once this thing happens, the two of them are trying to figure out that's about what they focus on and what Mm -hmm. they blur. And they're trying to figure out the situation. They're kind of missing each other. Um, so yeah, Boca, uh, you can find it on iTunes, Amazon, all your on demand services, pretty much everywhere aside from, uh, Aside from um, Netflix, Netflix. Um, if you want to follow the filmmakers, you can check out zealouspictures.com dot com and verge. verge. pictures. verge. pictures is cool. me, and um, and uh, zealous is uh, Andy and Jeff, the writer directors. Um, and follow me on Doug Dalton at all the things, Instagram, all the stuff, and verge pictures. All the stuff,
1: terrific. Yeah. So, is there any any reason that it's not on Netflix? Is the, are the rights um, too bad? Or? No, I,
2: I, I. Uh, that's a question for Screen Media, who's okay. our distribution partner. Okay. I mean, it, I think it's one of those things where eventually it'll make its way there, but yeah. but uh, it's they a different it's a different. Netflix some, is a different world.
1: Yeah, they have it's some pretty. Uh, it's not that ex- we didn't want to be on exclusive, Netflix exclusivity. Yeah, it's right. not
2: that we didn't no. want to be, and we won't ever be on Netflix. It's just not there at the moment. Yeah, and that's not unique to us. That's pretty much all films. You know, you either go to Netflix first, or you go to other places first. So it's just one of those things. All
1: right, I've got I've got one more question. If sure. if you were to Give ten years ago Doug some advice. What would you go back and say to him?
2: Oh man, if I were to give myself advice ten years ago, I would have been, I think that advice would be have a little more confidence in yourself. Right? You know, it's uh, it's uh, and I would say this to basically you know. So when I finish out, I do a, a talk called feet uh, First Features: Lesson Learned," and uh, the last slide of it is be a filmmaker own it right so whether you're going to be a still photographer or whether you're going to be uh and i know this sounds kind of like hippy dippy the secret and everything but declare it to the world what you want to be right don't you know about the secret i, I haven't actually read it i just wow. know that that's kind of the, <laughs> that's kind of the, the premise it's like you know declare your intentions to the universe right and, i use it to get parking spaces all the time <laughs> <laughs> so but uh but without being too you know Esoteric about it. Declare your intention to the world. Right. You know, I, um, it was very strange, but actually, Pamela was, uh, the first person that made me kind of open my eyes to it. We, we were cover. we were doing exactly this, um, for, uh, for photo, for a photo focus. We were, we were co producing podcasts and stuff. And she's like, at the time, I think she was working with Planet 5D. she's like, oh, I got to get you on the Planet 5D podcast. I'm like, why would they want to do that? This is like three years ago. I'm like, well, you're a filmmaker. You're working on a film. And I'm like, I am. I, am, I guess I am a filmmaker. I'm working on a film. You know, it's like you don't really realize it until it's in the, in the moment. So uh, that would be the advice I would give. A big, declare, you know, that was my intention 10 years ago. We probably, we, you know, if I do it 10 years ago, we probably don't make Boca. I make another movie first, but and I'm really proud of the, uh, of the product. But uh, if, if that's what you want to do, whether you want to be the next Lindsay Adler or the next Peter Peterson, you know, or, you know, the next uh, Christopher Nolan, you know, declare what you want to do now. And then move for move towards that objective with extreme prejudice.
1: Nice,
0: good advice. Good advice. Solid advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I like it. I like it. Well, thank you so much. It's been a nice That's
1: conversation. Pleasure. Yeah, yeah thanks so much it. for having me. Yeah. So to download this episode and the entire season, go to rggedu dot com and also everywhere where Edu podcast. Everywhere, even. MySpace, right, Rob?
0: Even MySpace. Especially. Even MySpace. Especially MySpace. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> you guys got to hook up with JT there, huh? Oh, oh, he's he's out. out. Is he out? Oh, is he, he out? Or, yeah, remember we found out about that the other day. He's oh, he's out. No, oh, he's, I, he sold it off? He sold his shares. He's out of it. So. That was the only reason to go on MySpace. to say you yeah, had the JT hookup. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're like this with JT. Yeah, that's, <laughs> why, in, that's why I learned how to dance. That's Texas why I'm such a good dancer from JT. <laughs> 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 you, then, you might not have known that about me. <laughs> no,
1: that's a new one. Yeah. That's yeah. A new one. <laughs> I'll teach
0: you something. Nobody told me there would be whiskey in this podcast. When does the next one start? This podcast is brought to you by Sekonic makers of a complete range of photo and cine light meters for professionals and passionate amateurs who care about the craft of photography Sakonic meters help you get a writing camera so you can save time in post production which will let you focus on improving and being more creative head over to Sakonic.com for more information about how their products can help you be a better photographer every day